Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. So last week, I was thinking with you about how we can evaluate impact from work with media. Uh, And this week, I'm uh, very privileged to be spending some time with a couple of colleagues from Swansea University who've been doing something quite special in this arena. Uh, So if you uh, happen to have watched the TV programme Casualty in the last couple of months, uh, you might have noticed uh, some uh, maggots in there. And that is uh, down to uh, my colleagues here in Swansea. Uh, and uh, I want to explore uh, with them uh, exactly what they're doing to uh, to evaluate the impact arising from this engagement. But I'm going to backtrack from there to, well, how do you get your research onto a programme like Casualty? Uh, and the, the broader work that you've been doing to, to, to evaluate the, the, the impact of your public engagement work. So uh, can I introduce uh, Yamni Nigam, who is a professor of biomedical sciences, or she just introduced herself to me just now, a professor of maggots. Uh, and I'm sitting here in, the, in her office surrounded um, by uh, papa, papa mache uh, maggots, um, uh, real dried maggots, uh, images of maggots, uh, and uh, many other wonderful uh, Weird and wonderful things. Uh, so great. Uh, I'm also here with Claire Lehane, who is Impact Support Officer here at Swansea University and has been working very closely with Yamni uh, on this particular uh, element of our impact. So, uh, Yamni, tell me uh, a little bit to, to start with uh, on how you got into maggots, of all things. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so, I was. Uh, beginning my lectureship here at Swansea University in 1997 um, and in this department which is a department of allied medical health we teach nurses paramedics osteopaths and so on um, and the head of the department at the time asked me to develop a module on wounds and wound management um, my background was entomology parasitology and diseases and so on so uh, I was an insect lover from day one but when I was doing this I came across something called larval therapy and of course my ears pricked up larvae there are be insects, you know, what's going on. Um, And it turned out that maggot therapy was sort of resurging um, as a as a medical as an intervention as a clinical intervention in the 80s and the 90s now it had never been here in the UK before then but it had been uh, widely used in America and Canada in the 30s and 40s the pre-penicillin era uh, where anecdotally um, field surgeons and so on would realize that uh, soldiers would come um, in uh, into their field stations with with wounds bullet wounds but those wounds were naturally infested with maggots and they were healing and the, the soldiers themselves were non-pyrexic there was no fever there was no you know, there was no evidence of infection so as a result of that uh, some American um, surgeons decided that they would clinically introduce sterile clinical grade maggots into patients in the 30s and 40s in America and it worked marvelously and so we have records of that but of course when penicillin came about in the 40s everybody forgot completely about maggot therapy nobody wanted to know it we used antibiotics for absolutely everything for a cough a sneeze a tick it was antibiotics and of course now we find ourselves on the cusp of this this global catastrophe of antimicrobial resistance and as partly as a result of this maggot therapy has come back in vogue not just in Britain and America but all over the world um, and it is out there now as a known clinical intervention for for wound treatments for wound care 
Great. So tell us a little bit about your, your research on this um, uh, and, uh, and how then that has taken you into the NHS, uh, talking to clinicians and trying to overcome some of the barriers that, that you found there. Yeah, um, I, I, I started my scientific research and, and we, we developed a big team of scientists that were looking at the, the scientific pathways and the molecules that the maggots were producing that actually had um, a role in clearing a wound of its dead tissue, of cleansing a wound, of, of disinfecting it, and what the antibacterial agents were that they were producing, and also the wound healing factors. So laboratory-wise, we discovered uh, over the last 18 years quite a lot of uh, um, a lot of things that the maggots are doing that we've published about scientifically. So we, we have a really good evidence base of what uh, the maggots can actually do. It's not just sort of a magic thing that's going on. There's a real scientific basis for it. Now, at this time, clinicians, well, in fact, in the UK, certainly, wound care is nurse-led. Um, and so it was nurses, tissue viability nurses and wound nurses that were leading the way of, of wound management for patients, for, certainly with patients with chronic wounds. Um, so as a result of my papers coming out, um, the only company in the UK that produces clinical grade maggots based in Bridgend in Wales got in touch with me to say, um, you know, we would like you to, we would like to pay the university to have you go and speak about the science that you found. And obviously it's not just our group in Swansea, there are other groups across the world that are researching this. And um, they wanted me to present all that work sort of to clinicians. So 2012 was my first presentation in Edinburgh. And uh, it was to a room full of nurses who uh, were aware of maggot therapy, but not aware completely of how it worked and, and how, how they worked so effectively to debride wounds and to clear wounds. So, And from then on, it just escalated and escalated. And I was being invited out to speak well, all over Europe, really, to clinicians who would immediately then think, right, OK, this is the sound basis. It's not just scientific. We had a clinical evidence base. We had RCTs that were being done. And, and they would then be made totally aware of the extreme efficiency and efficacy and exactly how maggots were doing what they do in wounds. And the fact that a four-day treatment with maggots could turn a wound that had been stagnant for 18 months on its head uh, within you know such a short period of time and they were presented with this information and they were just right okay you know this is this is beneficial so evaluating those sessions proved to be really really useful because you realize straight away that they were going um, in fact in one in one um, uh, session in Copenhagen uh, there were doctors and nurses present there because there are many many doctors um, vascular surgeons and so on that look after wounds in 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 uh, in Europe um they said to me that we had a chat at lunchtime about patients that we knew that we immediately felt now they could benefit from maggot therapy and we went went away and, and administered it and put it and put it on so you know you realize straight away that that's that's awesome that's great that's having an impact straight away amazing it's, it's the power of highly rigorous research to convince people there is an evidence base um, and, and not just it works but this is how it works we understand how this works uh, and actually for a bunch of clinicians well great that works uh, we do evidence-based medicine here's the evidence let's do the medicine fantastic uh, what about your, your journey then with the, the patients so um, you led a number of interventions um, with patients to try and see if you could change attitudes towards maggots amongst patients and I think this is then the precursor to what you're currently doing with the programme Casualty. So tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, indeed. So um, I, I, one thing that struck me a, a while ago was um, that the clinicians that I would talk to um, and who would say, yeah, no, it's great. You know, we, we now know that maggots are absolutely brilliant. The, the, the problem is that even though the therapy's out there, it's on the NHS as a prescri- you know, an NHS prescription here in the UK, it was just something that wasn't being, the uptake was low. And what hit home was one when I was applying for grants to carry on with my science, and one referee's comment said, that's all very well, the science is sound, but nobody wants to use maggots. And that made me think, that right, is that really what's happening? So we launched, the, the first part of this project was a, um, a, a massive survey that we did with 400 people, uh, 500 people almost online, to find out, is that true? Is there a yuck factor? Do people find maggot therapy the idea of it disgusting would they you know would they not have it if they were offered it and of course our our results did show that yes that was that was very much the case and we had a huge problem on our hands and many people would not consider having maggot therapy so that's when I thought right I think we need first of all the awareness was very poor Um, I think in all the work that we've done we found Roughly around 40 to 50 percent awareness in the general popula- in the general population um, of adults uh, who are aware that maggots can be used as a treatment or indeed are being used as a treatment. So that was one thing that I thought right that needs to be addressed. And if public engagement of our work Love a Maggot campaign was set up in 2016 to try and take that take that on and to see if we could um, a raise awareness of this really brilliant uh, wound intervention and two. To see if we could look at the disgust aspect and if we could change the dislike or change the inherent negative perception that people have off all sorts of squiggly things, but maggots in particular because they associate them with with decay and rubbish and things. And we needed to emphasise that what we're talking about are medicinal maggots. They're one species, a special species that we rear clinically, so they're sterile, they're clinical grade. They're not the ones that you find crawling on a dead rat or whatever or from sewage. They are really, you know, they're quite different. And this is how they work. And I think taking that out to people, um, and it's amazing, you actually see it happening at my Love of Maggot engagement events with the team, Team team Maggot. We, we, we tend to get people going, no, no, I'm not, I'm not coming near you. I, I don't want to look at your maggot stand. And then they're drawn to it. And by the time we've talked to them about the life cycle, about what maggots do, about the fact that we put baby maggots on wounds and within four days they can turn that wound around, they're like, wow. And we have a station called Feel How Maggots Feel where we actually invite them to have a handful of maggots, clinical grade maggots, and reluctantly, but they often, they do it. And then they're like, well, yeah, actually, this is fine. I could have maggots on if I needed to. And so that and evaluating all that has been key to our, our taking our research out to the public. Brilliant. I've seen some of the stats and uh, and it is impressive how the before and after you, you are turning people's opinions around. But the problem for this is that there's only one of you. Uh, you can uh, you can do stuff at uh, public engagement events, you can have a stall, but uh, the scale of the challenge is uh, it's global. Uh, you've set your, your, your sites on the UK, uh, but how then do you get that message out at a, at a much broader scale? Uh, so, so tell me, what were the steps that led to getting onto casualty? Okay, yes. Um, the the 
paramedics, the College of Paramedics invited me to give a talk on burns wounds in particular and the role of maggot uh, therapy. So it was as I was doing that a talk, a paramedic was sitting in the audience who was actually who actually moonlights as an, as a, um, a consultant for casualty, and he approached me afterwards and said, you know, this is great. I I'm one of the people that casualty uh, refer to when we're talking about paramedic storylines and cases and so on. Would you like to me to talk to them about having a maggot storyline because it would be awesome. So I said, yes, please do. This was this was Tom Hughes, a colleague uh, here. So he mentioned it in passing to somebody and they seized it and invited me in August 2018 to give a, a, a maggot talk um, about all, all the science and about everything that we're doing, um, about our research, to a group of producers and scriptwriters um, in, in the studios in, in Cardiff, which I did and still didn't know whether they'd bite or whether they'd they'd buy into it and fortunately for us they did and not only did they buy into putting maggots in on one episode which is what we thought they'd do they put it in through a storyline in four different episodes which we were so thrilled about um, so that that started that the, they obviously started to write the scripts they'd send the scripts to me uh, I would read them and we would then change what we thought was I mean obviously they needed accuracy so they wanted to know about fly life cycles all this was in fact incorporated into the uh, into the episodes so there was a lot of um, uh, research that, uh, uh, sorry, a lot of contribution that we made, what well, I made here in terms of uh, helping with script writing and so on. Um, and it was just brilliant. It was just such an enjoyable experience as well. Um, I did try and, in fact, one of the one one of the um, scenes, um, uh, which which hopefully people will see, uh, a lady has maggots put on a burns wound, and she's absolutely in love with the whole idea of maggots because she's into nature and all these things. And the, she says to the consultant, "Oh, are you in love with maggots because they are natural and beautiful and he says no I'm in love with them because of the science and I just thought that is superb because we've got our our research in as well which was great I love it it's so exciting um, <laughs> I think the lesson here uh, more generically is it's about being in the right place at the right time um, uh, and so you may be listening to this and thinking well that isn't that good luck uh, and I would argue this is not luck um, because Yamini you have worked those networks you have made the time to go and talk to the paramedics uh, the the nurses etc you are out there and it's because you are out there mixing in those circles that uh, you significantly increase the likelihood that uh, that that supposedly chance meeting actually happens and it happens to you and you get that opportunity so so I think just just being out there at the right place in the right place at the right time is hugely important you can of course uh, if you want to try and do this more on purpose and uh, I know a number of people who cultivate relationships with producers um, and identify people like this and uh, and so uh, that is uh, an option if you want to but uh, but for you this is something that that you embraced because certainly when I was talking to you a few months prior to this you were asking the question right so how now do I take this national uh, and uh, and so often when you put that kind of message out to the world you're there waiting ready when the opportunity comes great you spot it you you jump on it and that's what you've done so give us a, a little bit of a, a sense of um of of how 
how the science is being put across uh, in these programmes um, and the extent to which you had pushback from the producers. Um, well, wouldn't that be nice, but actually, yeah, it's a bit too complicated. Or uh, to what extent did you have to compromise? Um, what was that whole process like in terms of working with the writers and the producers? That's a, that's a really good point because we, uh, again, I, I strove for accuracy. Be, being a scientist, I was, uh, I, I really wanted to make sure that everything that they said was going to be completely accurate and not misleading in any way. But of course, what what we had to marry up with the fact was that they are a, a medical drama casualty. They're not. Uh, then it doesn't matter to them really whether they they're not making a documentary on maggots. So accuracy for them wasn't a big thing. So when they suggested certain things, um, like like the house fly they wanted to call it and I had to be quite strict and say no this is a green bottle fly you have to you have to you have to um, change that and so there were certain things that you know you just you wanted them to be you know quite clear about um, and I and I and I did I made every change that I felt I wanted to make I did H having said that you know you, I had to bear in mind that it was entertainment and and you know if they are going to have a scene where a lady who has maggots is going to stand on the maggots by accident and squish them to death and, and even though I really didn't like that it has to happen because it is entertainment at the end of the day. So I found that a little bit tricky, but I was so thrilled that they were still, you know, they were going with it. And it was it, a casualty has a an average audience of four and a half million. So you can imagine the fact that you are now talking about a therapy that a maggot therapy to the public who who many of whom wouldn't have known about it because our pre pre stats questionnaire tells us that it was about a 45% awareness in the population that watch ca casualty uh, that that knew about maggots so hopefully we've turned that and we've made that 100% awareness in, in in those people um but also of course we've done other things like look at whether it's changed their opinions on maggots or their perception of the therapy or the acceptance of the therapy so but we haven't got that data yet but we're, we're hoping to get it Great, because I think uh, some people f feel quite nervous about uh, engaging with the media, uh, but especially an entertainment programme uh, like this, that uh, that actually I'm going to lose control, uh, they're going to misrepresent the science, uh, and this is now going to be my name on the credits. And uh, and that, that is quite a worry for people. So I think it's quite reassuring just to hear, well, yeah, you've made some compromises, but actually the red lines that you drew, you were able to keep those red lines. So, so finally, I want to just to have a think about how you're evaluating this. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you want to maybe start, but also I'd like to bring in Claire uh, on this. Um, uh, and so um, you talked briefly there about uh, a pre-survey of the population of people who watch Casualty and some stats you've got there. So I'd like to learn a little bit more about the, the methods that, that you're using. But Yamni, if I can start with you and then if you want to hand over to, to Claire, just tell us a little bit about uh, the role that, that Claire has played in supporting this, this impact. Yes, I, I have to say that I this whole this whole notion of uh, um, impact and impact case studies and so on is 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 quite a foreign one to, to a, a scientist who's working all her life in, in laboratories and looking exper experimentally. But but I've embraced it wholeheartedly because I absolutely think it's so relevant and so brilliant 
to be to be able to take what what we've spent many many years looking at out to people to people that matter to people who might benefit from all the work that we've done the research that we've done and the knowledge that we, we've accrued so I was completely you know I, I really needed support in this um, and I think that the many many academics have strengths but not all of them have a strength where they can um, they, they, they can suddenly turn everything they do it and, and make it impactful and I think that's where people like Claire have been completely key and pivotal um, to all of this and, and, and Claire can tell you more but without Claire I would never have been able to do as much of the impact including the public engagement she is awesome at public engagement she will speak about the life cycle of maggots with such a wonderful passion and in an, engage, an engaging way but more than that it's the, imp it's the support of the um, understanding exactly what impact is and how to evaluate it and how to evidence it which Claire has been critical uh, in supporting me with so I'll hand over to, to her now so she can tell us a bit more about the process. Thanks Yamni. Um, well, I came into Swansea University two years ago um, from a non-impact background. So I've been learning for the past two years as well, alongside Yamni. And um, yeah, I became part of the Log of It Maggot team really early on. She needed someone to talk about the life cycle. And I was like, right, I have a background in zoology. I can do this. So we did it and um, then became part of the team. Um, and so, so doing the public engagement, going out to schools and going out to um, other types of clubs, that's really enjoyable. And you get to see people learning that maggot is part of the life cycle of a fly. And some people don't get that. And I get to show people a gory leg with different types of wombs. And that gets people interested in, you know, this could happen to them or this could happen to uh, their family or friends. And this is a viable treatment that you could talk about with your GP or your, your nurse or your clinician. Um, so that's one part I really enjoy, you know, talking about flies and maggots, this is great. Um, and then the other side is the, the evidencing, um, the so what, the change, what, what is this actually doing for real people in the real world, outside of papers and, and academia. Um, and for this um, uh, casualty, uh, it was such a big opportunity and we were able to potentially reach a very wide group of people that we would never be able to reach to any other means. Of course, we were like, okay, how, how, do we, how do we talk to these people? How do we find out what they really think about maggots before and afterwards? And we talked about, you know, the best ways to to get that information and the easiest way for us because of the demographics and the widespread of casualty was through a pre and post survey and then it was kind of looking around to see which would be the best provider to do that and we found a, an, a, a company that could do that on our behalf and they were very efficient and much more efficient that we can do it. Um, and so we're now waiting. We, we, we did the, the questions and we went through it with them and we went through it together as a team. Um, and we're now waiting for the feedback. But um, really, my role is to um, support and help Yamni and anybody else in the college who wants to do something around impact, just to see, to have a think about this. So what question? How do you want to go? What do you want to get out of this? Who do you want to help out of this? What is your question that you want to answer? And sometimes just talking about those questions outside of an academic um, environment is really useful for me because then I get to see what everybody else is doing and how I can slip into their workflows. Yeah, great guiding questions. Uh, who do you want to help? Uh, what is the benefit that, that you want to see? Um, and then designing your evaluation around that. Uh, and so in this case, we've got a before and after. 
Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about how you chose the company. I'm not sure if you can tell us which company you chose, but uh, how, you, how did you choose? How should people go about, I, I want to commission uh, some kind of uh, survey that will give me a cross, uh, cross section of the UK public mm-hmm. um, uh, in this kind of way? Uh, so how do you go about choosing a company like, like that? And what was the process like working with them? Um, to what extent did they help you design the questions or was that entirely up to you? Uh, yeah, tell us a bit more. Sure. So um, basically, we we wanted to work with a company who had a track record with working with um, TV surveys. So we basically did a very big Google search and tried to find companies that um, had a track record in this. Um, and we um, brought it down to three or four companies. And then I went through their, their websites and rang them up and say, can you give me examples of where you would have done something similar in, in another case? Um, and, you know, there was other more pedestrian um, things you had to look into, like the cost of it and, you know, how soon could they do this? Because we're operating quite a tight timeline. Um, And we settled with this one company who did have a background of doing TV surveys. It was their bread and butter. Um, And they, you know, we we Skyped them. We talked about the things that we were hoping to get as a result of of the casualty episodes. Um, They went away and they came back with a a draft uh, a draft um, idea of what they could do. Yamni signed off on it and then we, we start working with them on the types of questions we would like to ask. So it was quite iterative. I would send a group of questions on behalf of the team and they would come back and say, yes, we can ask that question or this question doesn't make sense in a pre-survey. It might be better in post-survey. So they were quite good in kind of directing us down the official survey lines, which we had never done before, um, but still allowing us to ask the questions that we needed to ask to get the kind of um, answers that we were hoping that would um, be thrown back by um, the survey. So it was it was mostly kind of because we'd never done this before. It, it was a lot of kind of Google searching and talking to people and getting on the phone and, and asking people what, what they had done in the past. Um, so, yeah. Great. So um, you don't have the results of this yet, um, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure uh, when this will be publicly available. Um, at the latest, in 2021, uh, as, uh, as part of a FMPAC case study, we, we will all get to find out what the results of this are. Uh, but maybe you can uh, give, me, give me a sneaky update on, on the general uh, general trend, and I can update people on that at that point. But at this point, tell me what, what are at least one or maybe two of the questions that, that you're most excited to, to hear the answer to? So it gives us a sense of of the kind of answers that, that you're expecting to get? Well, the, the main um, things that we would like to get out, that Yamini would like to get out of, of this survey is to see that there is an increased awareness of magatherapy as a, a therapy on the NHS and also that there is some shift or change in people's perceptions about magatherapy. What that shift and change is, we don't know yet, but we would like to be able to see after watching these four episodes that people are more aware of magatherapy, whether they're more more aware in a negative or positive way, we don't know yet, we hope positive. but those are the kind. Those are the two main questions that we are are, are interested in, um, and if they would um, ask by themselves for magatherapy if they had a wound that was suitable, because obviously um, 
you know, people go into the clinics and the clinicians give them a range of options for for um, wound wound healing. And if if um, the clinician hasn't mentioned magotherapy, maybe a patient would then say, "Oh, what about magotherapy?" And then that gets the question, that gets the conversation started about magotherapy, and gets into the clinician's mind and the patient mind, and the nurse minds again. So those are the kind of things we're not sure that we can glean from the the survey answers. But how interesting would it be if we could? Yeah, we shall find out uh, with bated breath. <laughs> Amazing. So we're coming to the end, and uh, to, to conclude, I'm going to uh, give you both a chance to, to say a, a couple of final things here. But uh, for me, the thing that inspires me about the story that I've heard is the, the enthusiasm that you've brought to this right from the outset. So I met you about a year ago when I was here doing some training, and, uh, and instantly uh, that came across to me. And listening to your story, one of the things I love about this is how this is uh, you being innately fascinated by your research and following your nose because you're just simply curious. So, huh, magotherapy, does that actually work? And if it does, then how on earth does this work? What's the process? What's going on here? Uh, and from there, then applying that same curiosity from your research into your impact. Well, uh, what would happen if I work with this company? Uh, and what would happen if I started talking to clinicians? Could I change their mind? Um, and with publics. And, and I think what's unique about the way you've managed your public engagement is the way that you have applied that curiosity throughout your engagement work, always asking the question, so where are you at the beginning? Where are you at the end? Has this changed? And actually researching your engagement as you've gone, which has been invaluable in terms of building evidence to support uh, the claims that, that you now want to be able to make about the impact that, uh, that, that you've had. Uh, so, so I think the message for me that, that comes out of this is that, that you can follow your passion in terms of the curiosity-driven research. You can apply that curiosity to your impact. And uh, by being curious and enthusiastic, you go down routes, paths, roads you would never have dreamt of going down. And actually, they are innately fascinating uh, and inspiring. Uh, so to, to conclude, I'd be interested to just get some perspectives from you uh, on what's, what people can do the, sitting there listening to this thinking, yeah, I would like to engage more with the public. Uh, I'd like to engage more with media. Um, what are the, the, the key things that, that, that you need to do to, to make this work? And what would you say to people who are still feeling a, feeling a bit nervous about this? Yeah, indeed. And I think a lot of people do feel very nervous about uh, engaging uh, with, with strangers, with, with the public in, in many in many um, uh, scenarios. So uh, I, I would literally say that as having spent the last 20 odd years as a researcher um, and having had my work continually being talked about and evaluated by Ac academic peers or um, by people at conferences and, and uh, referees and so on, it was absolutely refreshing and amazing to take what I understood to be what I'd done um, in a completely different way and explain it in, in a very uh, a, 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 to, to, to lay people to the public it was just a wonderful thing to do and extremely valuable for me to, to get uh, feedback and to chat to people who wanted to know about the work in a completely different way to the, the way that I had to speak about it before and in conferences so that that I would encourage anybody and everybody to if they are in a position to go via some outreach program 
program or um, an engagement, um, if they have an engagement outlet, uh, to, to do that and, and really just see what you make of it because it, it is just such, a, such an enlightening and wonderful experience. It really is. Yeah, and I would just echo what Yamni said. I mean, the bar to entry to public engagement is not having episodes on, you know, a UK-wide um, show. There's a lot of professional societies out there that have public engagement awards that you can um, apply for um, and do um, maybe a couple of classes in a school nearby and, and just see how that works for you. A lot of universities have initiatives like Reaching Wider that you can go and talk to and say, I'm interested in talking about microbes to seven-year-olds. Um, would there be a school that would be interested in, in doing that? And they can work with you. A lot of uh, universities, like Swansea University, have public engagement form forums that you can go talk to and say, how, how was best, what's my best route? What's my best route into um, public engagement in schools or in other clubs? So I guess while public engagement can feel very big, you don't have to start big. You can just start small. But the, the question is, why do you want to do it? And what is the point of you doing it? What do you want to get out? And what do the people that you are talking to get from this? And then you can build, um, as Yamni has done through years and years of, of hard work. <laughs> But, uh, but absolutely worth it. Uh, so um, uh, we, we should do our bit for maggots here. And, uh, and if, uh, if you uh, yourself have not heard of this before uh, and you're thinking, huh, this is a thing, um, and, uh, and you're maybe even changing your own mind about maggots um, and you want to find out more uh, than the website, uh, Yamni? Yes, we've got, a, we've got a website which has got absolutely anything and everything you ever wanted to know about maggots and maggot therapy. Uh, and the website is loveamaggot.com. That's great. Wonderful. Claire, Yamni, thank you very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Looking forward to finding out how this unfolds. <laughs>